chapter 8 in our series, Therefore, and if uh, you would turn there to Romans chapter 8, uh, we're going to be starting in uh, verse 16, we're going to go on down to uh, verse 25 this morning. So, hear the word of God. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we might be glorified with Him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together and pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who had the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is not seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope, For what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray this morning that your word would do its work. That it would show us your glory. That it would show us um, deeper ways what you've called us to and who you've called us to be. And so, Lord, this morning we pray that we would see the glory of your goodness in your son Jesus this morning. We pray this in his name. Amen. So, I think any good superhero movie or series starts when the superhero starts to figure out or discover their new abilities or or their new uh, things that they're able to do. Maybe you call them privileges. Whether it's Spider-Man and he figures out he can cling to walls or shoot webs or Superman, I can remember in the early one, and I think it was in the 80s when it came out, uh, where Clark Kent was on the football field, and he threw a football, and it shot off into the distance, out of sight. And you start to realize, whoa, I am different. There's something about me. There's things and privileges and abilities that I have that are ab- above and beyond the average normal mortal person. And, and we love that. There's something about that we love. I do. When, when some, because it takes us out of the normal, takes us out of the ordinary. Instead of being a, a dweeby little nerdy kid, you're, you know, he's able to swing through the streets on webs and knock out bad guys, right? And that's cool stuff. Or shoot lasers out of your eyes. I know moms do that almost anyway. But to really be able to do it, you know, it's like, you know, forget charcoal. I'm just going to use my eyes this morning. This afternoon. Uh, but here's the thing. Here in Romans, I think it's, it's really like that. We are, you discover privileges 
maybe abilities, standing, position, identity that we have as Christians. We've called this series, Therefore. Now that you've become a Christian, now that you're following Jesus, you believe and, and, you, and you've trusted him, now what? And Paul begins to lay that out. And we've seen several things already. We've seen that we are justified. We are made right with God, just as if we've never sinned. We, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we saw also that we are, that the Spirit comes and we are set free from the law of sin and death. And now we are, we're given a new life to live in, in what he calls in the Spirit and no longer in the flesh or living according to autonomy and self-sufficiency. And we are adopted as God's children and given the, the, the place of the firstborn son as heirs. And so he's he just piling on these realities and these truths and we begin to discover that we have privileges and status and maybe even abilities above mere mortal men. And so he continues on. And here we see that more and more as we go on to this chapter, it's like a good piece of music that starts small and builds and builds and builds and builds and builds. And builds. It's just going nuts. And that's what happens throughout this chapter. It's going to keep building, going to keep building until like the last part of this chapter is like a crescendo of, of amazingness. And, so, and here we see, so we move on, starting here in verses 15 through 25, that we are we're God's adopted children now. That the Spirit has done that by connecting us. The Holy Spirit coming into us and, and connecting us into a vital spiritual union with, with Christ Himself so that everything that's true of Jesus is true of us. So the life that He lived is now our life. And the death He died is on our behalf and, and for us. And we take the benefit from that and the resurrection that He lives and so on. And so we see more of that. And so as adopted children we see here, we now have three other things going on. We have a new suffering, a new perspective, and a new hope. A new suffering, a new pers- a perspective, and a new hope. Now that we are children of God, some things change about us. So first of all, a new suffering. And he says it's 16 and 17. 17 is going to come up on the screen. He said, the Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. And heirs and fellow heirs with Christ. Stop. If you stop there, it's like, yes, what does that mean? If you were to inherit what? Like, you know, I have fantasies about some uncle that maybe I've never met or don't know about. That's a billionaire and he's going to leave me a lot of money that I didn't know existed. Wouldn't that be awesome? Pay off the mortgage. Not have to worry about stuff. Oh, Anyway. You stop there. But then it goes on and says, provided we suffer with him in order that we also be glorified with him. So we are united with Christ as heirs, as the fellow sons. And in that, we share with him in suffering. Now, so this is bad news for you. If you've become a Christian or you're a Christian and you somehow believe or been told or taught that once you become a Christian, life just gets better. It just becomes peaches and creams, and it's all great. And, was, you know, there's no smooth sailing. If you just, you know, pray hard enough, believe hard enough, go to church enough, give enough money, then 
it'll all be awesome. It's just going to all work out great. Let me tell you, that's a lie from hell and it smells like smoke. Throughout the Bible, from beginning to end, there's a, 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 a very clear, abundantly clear truth that God's people are going to face struggles and suffering in his life. So I'm sorry if I disappointed you, but that's a reality. And so if you're struggling and suffering and things are going wrong in your life, you're not abnormal. We're gonna get, we'll talk about this a little bit, but it's not an abnormal. It's a normal part of being a Christian. Okay, but Paul, I think, is talking about something more than just the normal, quote-unquote, normal suffering that people experience as fallen people in a fallen world. Otherwise, he wouldn't have to mention it here. Follow what I'm saying? Like, it would be no point in saying, uh, provided we suffer with him. It would be pointless for him to say that. He would just assume that if you live in a, a fallen, broken, sinful world, you are going to experience normal suffering in the world. Okay, so... Okay, he has to have, there's a reason for him to say what he's saying here. He's not just talking about the suffering in the world that we've experienced by everyone in Christ and outside of Christ. So what's, what is he saying here? Paul is saying that when we become God's children in Christ, we now take on not just regular suffering, but a new suffering. New kinds of suffering. Suffering that we did not experience before we were in Christ. Did you hear that? So, in other words, it, for, if you were to go out and tell people, hey, if you come to know Jesus, your life is going to be better. What Paul's saying here is, no. Your life is going to stay in the suffering that everybody else suffers, and you get some extra suffering. You get icing for your cake. You get a little extra suffering, suffering for your suffering. And, and that's what he's kind of getting at here. That there's more to it. So in Christ, and so here he gives two illustrations in this passage to kind of bring this out and to show us what we mean. And in the first illustration, whoops, sorry. Is it working? Are we good? Am I coming through? Okay, doesn't matter. I killed it. Did I kill it? What? Unmute it real quick. See if it works. Is it working? There we go. All right, I'm going to try not to touch that part of my body again. Okay, um, he gives two illustrations. The first illustration really illustrates the reality that we are in a world that's fallen and broken. And if you live in this world and it's fallen and broken, it's going to face that. And so the first illustration he, he gives is that we are, that we, the creation is subjected to futility. Look at me in verse 19. He says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and attain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so what he's talking about here, he's like, for example, so he says, you're going to suffer 
with, as a Christian. And so, for example, it's going to be like creation. And creation didn't do anything wrong. Creation hasn't done anything, but it's been subjected because of us, because of the fall, because every human being has fallen and, and plunged this whole planet into sin and suffering. The creation itself, that means rocks and trees and the birds and little frogs. We, we were at my uh, uh, sister-in-law's house up in Decatur. They had like this ecosphere. It was awesome. They had like uh, chipmunks and rabbits. And my dog was like going nuts trying to kill them. It was awesome. And that just him wanting to kill those little animals points to this. And it says it's subjected in futility. It seems to be pointless. It seems to be useless. And I know some of you guys are suffering even now. And you think, what is the point to all this? Why does this happen? And the reality is God allows it. And it feels like it leads to futility. It feels pointless. And so, like creation, it says, even ourselves, as God's children, are subjected to suffering. And, and a lot of it's unwillingly. Sickness, death, loss of job. I mean, think about all the things that we face throughout our lives. And it happens to us unwillingly. And so here's God's adopted children. We are going to be subjected unwilling to suffering. That's just reality. But we'll get to this in a little bit, long, a little bit more depth later. Is that it's done so in hope. There is a purpose. Okay, so that's the first illustration he is. That if you're in this world, you, in, you walk planted earth, suffering and struggle is going to happen. The second illustration he gives has to do with childbirth. And he talks about the pains of childbirth. Look in verse 22 with me. He says, for we know... That the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And I think a part of what he's pointing to is the, is this, the groaning that happens in childbirth. Is, is, and if, if you've ever had a child or if you've witnessed it, there's a lot of groaning that goes on. There's a lot of suffering that happens in that process. But I, I, when you talk about childbirth, though, it's, a, I think, an entirely different situation, a different type of pain, because, think about it, in most cases, it's taken on willingly. Is it not? It's, it is a pain and a suffering that is taken on willingly. And I, I think, in large part, when Paul talks about the suffering with Christ, suffering in Christ, he's talking about this kind of suffering. Okay, and, and that suffering is taken up in two ways, I think. We've already seen the first way. In, in, the, in the passage above this, we see a struggle ensues. That as God's new children, we are set free from the law of sin and death, and we begin to struggle to no longer walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the spirits. And he talks about this being putting to death the deeds of the body. And, and it, it makes me think back to Jesus when Jesus said, 
If your, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. That's a painful process. Killing things is painful. And, and that's, that's a struggle that goes on. So as soon as we become Christians, a battle starts and suffering and struggle ensues into our lives. And it's just a natural part of it. We see it in Philippians chapter 3. Paul describes kind of, kind of in some ways his conversion. He says this, For whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Now he's not saying, oh, it, it wasn't important anymore. I didn't think it was a big deal. No, he counted it loss. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For this sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or crap in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And he's describing, in large part, the, the Christian life. It's counting the things that our heart would love to hold dear. The things that, that, that make us feel good. The things that give us identity and life and self-actualization. All those things. And he's saying, I count it lost. I'm chopping it off. I'm putting it to death. Why? For the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. But it's still a loss and it's still a struggle. So I think that's in one way a willingness to step in to suffering. And so Jesus, when he says in Mark, uh, Matthew, excuse me, chapter 10, verse 38, take up your cross and follow me. He goes, take up your cross and die. Suffer. That's part of what it means to be in Christ. So that's one way. So I think the battle against the flesh, the autonomy, self-sufficiency in our lives, it's a, it's a battle of loss. You're going to feel it. Okay, but there's another way. It's also the suffering we take up for the sake of others. It says we suffer with Christ. Paul talks about it in, in Philippians 3 there. as Is, is, is the, the sharing in or the fellowship of his sufferings. So what does it mean to share in and be with Christ in suffering? Well, how did Christ suffer? He came to this earth willingly. He gave away things willingly. He gave away his life willingly. He suffered, was tortured, was in agony and pain and suffered the, the, the worst tragedy that could ever happen, the separation of father and son on the cross. And he did it willingly. So Jesus showed us this kind of suffering. It's a suffering taken on with the direct purpose of helping another and that's where you see the, the the analogy of childbirth clearest isn't it a woman taking on suffering on the behalf of another should be a mother's day sermon so as we know excuse me as now as god's new children we willingly suffer for the sake of others. And it could be small things. Just showing kindness to your neighbor who is a jerk. Or it might be 
being generous. Think about being generous. That is a suffering. That says, you know, I don't need that bigger TV. I don't need that new car. I don't need these extra things. I, I'm, I'm going to give it away to help somebody else. There's a suffering in that. So to love another person is to suffer. To suffer that what you could benefit yourself for the sake of others. And so we do this as God's now true. We willingly suffer so that others can know Jesus and can know his glory, can know better things. And we see this in uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Paul kind of summarizes it. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am willing, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. Paul, we're going to see later, Paul suffered immensely for the sake of others, for the sake of the church. And so, we have a new suffering. We, it's not just regular suffering, guys. It's new suffering. It's added suffering. And sometimes it just comes in the burden for other people. I mean, as soon, as soon as I became a Christian, I noticed pe- some people weren't. And I wanted them to know it, and some people didn't want it. And that gave me a horrible burden to carry. So how do we get there? How do we get to a place where we can suffer like this? We can suffer with Christ. So the, next, the next two things we are given help us do that. And the, the next point is we get a new suffering, but we also get a new perspective. We get a new perspective. You know, I was in the... Um, I can't remember which time it was. Because I spent... Many times in the, in, in the ER, the emergency room, as growing up. And even as an adult, it's happened several times as well. I can't remember which time this was exactly, which, which time I needed sutures or some other type of uh, mending. I, was a, I grew up a skater. We were, we were pretty wild kids. We liked to climb trees and do stuff that, you sh- that your mom usually tells you not to do. And so I was at the hospital one time, and I had, I think, cut my, my foot open or something really nice. And I was suffering. I was hurting pretty bad. And, and, and I'm sitting there, and, you know, you're waiting, because that's what you do in an emergency room half the time, most of the time. And I'm waiting there, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to die it'll help me. And I look over, and just down the hall, it was really crowded, this ER this day, and there was a guy, and he was laying on this gurney, and there was sheets covering him, and there was blood running through the sheets, and this guy... I mean, in my opinion, was not doing well. And he's laying there, he's moaning in pain, and he is obviously very seriously hurt in many ways. And all of a sudden, my situation didn't seem so bad. It didn't seem quite as horrible and quite... And here's the thing. The, The perspective we have on our suffering, and suffering in general, is crucial. The perspective that we have is crucial. So think about it. Think about how we think about our lives. Like, so for example, there's ways we can just, just our perspective itself can create suffering in lives. So for example, if I have some idea of how my life should live, and how it should go, and it doesn't happen that way, what, what does that, it creates suffering. 
So just the image or the idea, the expectation I have in my life, and if it doesn't go that way, I suffer. Or, for, or, or if I compare my life to other people's lives. And I'm like, oh, living in Oak Leaf is awesome, but I, I could have lived in Eagle Landing. They really got it good over there. Or I could be over Nocatee. That's like heaven on earth. Or that one community with a lake, whatever it is. It has like a big giant lake you can swim in without alligators. Never heard of that around here. But we compare ourselves to others, it creates suffering. But more importantly, if we don't see any purpose, meaning, or hope in our suffering, it makes it much worse, doesn't it? Or if we don't understand it, if we don't realize what it might be for or what it's about, it seems that much worse. And so we have to have a, a greater perspective and Paul does that here for us he says that God's children have another perspective on on suffering verse 18 he says this for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us and so Paul wants to make a comparison just like I made in that ER room that that day laying there I looked at my situation, and I looked at another situation. So he, he, he's doing that. He's comparing. And, and he's compar- what is he comparing here? He's comparing the sufferings of this present time. He's talking about this present age, what we suffer now in this life in a fallen, broken world. And, and, he, and, he, and that time has an end, and he's comparing it to what is to come. As a matter of fact, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he does the same comparison and, and calls this suffering that we face now light and momentary affliction. Did you hear that? He calls it light, momentary affliction. Now, some of you might say, Paul, this is not light and this does not seem momentary. You don't know my life. You don't know what we're struggling for. You don't know the, the anguish and the pain and the suffering we're going for, going through ourselves or with others. How can you say that, Paul? Light and momentary? Well, let's see what Paul's getting. I think you have to understand who Paul was and know a little bit about Paul to know he's not saying that word, he's not saying that phrase, he's not throwing that around like it doesn't mean anything. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it'll be on the screen. Verse 23, starting there, he says, he says, "Are are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am a talking, I am I, excuse me, I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I, re- I received at the hands of Jews the forty lashes less one. Which apparently is right before you die. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from all this, there's the daily pressure of me on the anxiety of all the churches. I got you guys to deal with. Through all that, I got you guys. That's hilarious to me. And I, I was reading a study of Paul's sufferings. This doesn't even cover it. Paul knew suffering. He knew what it meant to, have, to suffer and to struggle. He knows. And so he's, what he's saying here is, and uses the word, it's translated here, consider. It's the same word he, he used earlier when it talks about when we believe and we trust and have faith, God no longer considers us sinners, but reckons it to us, credits to us, considers us righteous. It's, it's a legal term. It's, it's a term that... Uh, that says to determine by mathematical process, to reckon or to calculate. So he's saying we need to do the same thing. We need to, to reason in our minds and, and, and compare what we face in this life with what is, going to, what is promised to us. The glory that is to be revealed to us. And so he makes a comparison. It's a scale. It's, it's like a penny next to a billion dollars is what he's saying. Or, let's put it this way, since basketball has been in people's minds, it would be like comparing a sixth grade basketball player with LeBron James. Let's do it. Do the math. Like you would actually, he, and, and Paul says it, it's not even worth comparing. He's like, why would you compare a sixth-grade basketball player with LeBron James? It doesn't make any sense. They don't even exist in the same categories. All they, they, they play with the same type of ball? That is it. And that's what Paul's saying here, is that the present sufferings that we face are not even worth comparing to the glory that is to, to be revealed in and through us and for us. And so, as we suffer, we suffer with a new perspective. What is that perspective? So it's a perspective of comparing. But we also, in that, we have a new perspective. We also have a new hope. We have a new hope. Look with me in verses 23. It says, not only the creation, but we ourselves have the, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown Inwardly, as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the adoption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it in patience. And so, Paul, note he says here that just like creation, we groan inwardly. And this is the same groaning he's described as childbirth. 
And this groaning literally describes an internal squeezing denoting a feeling of sorrow which is internal. To express grief by inarticulate or semi-inarticulate sounds of expression of anguish due to physical, emotional, or spiritual pain. And y'all heard it, haven't you? You've heard that sound. They say, even we, we groan inwardly. And, and it, it's, it was in some ways already there because we were already a part of God's creation. And then we step into Christ and then groaning takes on a new level. He says we groan inwardly. So here's a real sense here of, of real pain of all kinds. Then he says, in that groaning, we wait eagerly. And I can't help but think of, you know, my kids right before Christmas morning. You know, they just wait. I can't wait. And that's our posture. Is we, we're, we're groaning. We, we're, we, we, we face and we, uh, we live in the reality of the suffering. But we do so waiting eagerly. We, what, are, what are we waiting for? eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. You know what he's saying? We, he's, we already, he's already said we are adopted, but that's not in his full. We, we're adopted. We, we are already sons and, and, and daughters of God, but that is going to become into a complete and full reality when Jesus returns, and we are going to face joy and, and, and glory that we can't even imagine. But here's a problem. We don't see it right now. I know you don't. He's pointed that out. He talks about the glory that's to be revealed to us. You don't reveal something that's already seen and already known. And, and it's, it, what he's saying, and it's so indescribable and it's so amazing, we can't even understand it. And so, we have to hope. He says, so we hope for it. What does he mean by hope here? What he means by hope is not what we normally think of when we think of the word hope. So it's really not the best word to translate this for. Because it's a little bit deeper of a word. Because you might think of the word hope. You could say, man, I hope Russell doesn't preach too long today so we can get home early. No chance of that. Or you might say, I mean, I hope the Florida Gators do well this year. No chance of that. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it. <laughs> so it's a hope. It's kind of like, yeah, I really kind of would hope so, but it may, may not happen. That's not the kind of hope he's talking about here. It, it, maybe the word faith or trust might be a little bit better with this. It's, it's a hope of certainty. I know this is coming. I know this. This has been bought and paid for with Jesus' blood. I know. And so I wait eagerly for it. I'm, I just can't wait until it happens. And I'm hoping to drag everybody else along with me to get there. So we hope. We have a new hope. And so, as God's children, we have a new suffering, a new perspective, and a new hope that hopefully leads us outside of ourselves as we as we as we face suffering with new perspective and new hope and then we and in that we willingly are willing to suffer for others like jesus did for us
It's life-changing. It's what he's called us to. Um, some of y'all may have seen this post, but um, there's a friend of some of ours we know here in Oakleaf who um, uh, I, I just shocked me, but has just gone on, uh, um, under the knife into a surgery to give away one of his kidneys to somebody he will never meet, maybe. And I, I saw the pose, and I thought, that is super cool. I actually posted, uh, I think it's John, 15, is it John 15, 13 or somewhere, says, uh, you know, there's no greater love than this, that a man would give his life for another or for a friend. Especially when Paul talks about, is it, you know, it's, it's easy to love somebody you know, somebody you love you back. To love somebody you don't know, somebody you, maybe even your enemy. And so I was thinking, like, what would cause him to do something like that? What would cause you and me to willingly suffer for the benefit of other people? It's, it's what he has done for us. It's a new perspective. It's, it's weighing this world versus what he has so graciously promised us. It's a new perspective of hope, knowing that even that God can even and actually does use the suffering in my life for the benefit of others, even if I don't understand it. If you want a, a great exposition of that, go to John Piper's exposition of the book of Job, where God used Job's suffering to display his glory before Satan himself. So what is it? How do we get there? We get there with a new perspective and a new hope. Um, I think it was uh, Jim Elliott, who's a missionary, who gave his life away to, to bring the gospel to a tribe of people he didn't know. And those people speared him to death in that process. And he, I know he said one of these things. He said something of the sort that there is, it's, there's no comparison to give away what you cannot keep for that which you cannot lose. To give away what you cannot keep, this life, for what you cannot lose, the life that God has promised us. And, and, but there's even more than that. That we would give away what we cannot keep, which can't even close to be compared to what God has promised us in glory. There's no comparison. And in that, it opens our hands up to love. And so, if you're not a believer this morning, God calls us, you're going to suffer. Your life is going to end one day. And the, and the gospel calls you to believe and trust. And, and he will give you freely as a gift forgiveness and righteousness and adoption as his son and daughter. But he's going to call you into a deeper suffering. A suffering against sin and, against, uh, and forgiving for others. And for the rest of us believers, are, are you suffering? And what does that mean? And are you willing to do that on the behalf of other people? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray and thank you that you showed us 
what it looks like to suffer on the behalf of others. And you so graciously.